Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Realms of peril and glory will begin after these short messages. We'd like to thank our patrons, Holly Fitz, Annie Zan, and Emily Castle, for their support in making this series possible. If you enjoy Realms of Peril and Glory and all the things that we do, then perhaps consider joining our Patreon. It's the best way to support the show and keep us going. So please, go join these fabulous patrons by going over to patreon.com slash lightandtragic. You can get some bonus stuff like ad-free listening, more games, and a lot more. Again, that's patreon.com slash lightandtragic. Welcome to Making the Game, Realms of Peril and Glory's interview show. Today we're talking to Nathan Blades, or as you might know them, the Neon Caster. Enjoy the show. Welcome one and welcome all back to Realms of Peril and Glory. I am here interviewing the fantastic Nathan Blades of the Neon Caster and Skyjacks and other wonderful things. Uh, can you tell the people a little bit about who you are uh, and sure. what they can expect from you? <laughs> yes, indeed. Mm. I'll give the intro that I usually give. Hi, hi, hello. I am the androgynous android game show host from the future, Nathan Blades. Uh, tabletop RPG designer, streamer, voice actor, and general internet ne'er-do-well. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. It's wonderful. And that is a great intro. Just a fit. <laughs> it really sets the tone, doesn't it? I mean, I, I think one of the things that streaming does specifically is that you need to find a real snappy way to introduce yourself that you can say without flubbing uh, as many times as you go on air. And even then, I still screw <laughs> up occasionally. But hey, hey, we have the pattern down. But yes, it's fantastic to be on the show. I love talking about tabletop just as a hobby yeah. and as a design and as playing. So I, I, I relish the opportunity to chat about stuff like that. Well, see, that's the thing is there's so many people like like yourself and like me are like i would love a chance to talk about tabletop and i'm like well let me mm. find an avenue for that to happen and here we are here we are um so actually you mentioned streaming and all that that mm -hmm. actually leads into one of the things that i have on my notes which is that um as a twitch streamer you mm. are very much like aware of how ttrpgs and playing them for content is 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 put out but you're but mm. how i'm aware of it is oh well we can edit it you know we yes. can if there's a funny mm. silence you know we'll we'll trim that if we need to if we need to tighten up a line you know we can do a pickup if something's not totally clear for mm. whatever reason you know one or two bits here or there but you go out live <laughs> <laughs> yeah indeed indeed i didn't always i didn't always um, initially, when I started doing actual play in general, which is now about like four and a half years ago, I had a podcast, um, an actual play podcast called The Talent Agency uh, that was primarily run in a system called Shadowrun Anarchy, um, based on the mainline Shadowrun franchise that you've probably heard of, but designed to be rules light, uh, a bit more uh, giving players a bit more agency, uh, a lot more chaotic, hence the name Anarchy in, in the title. And um, that was, I, I really enjoyed doing that. That was that was a, a very unprofessional production, right? You know, sitting around with my friends, inviting them over to kind of record it. Uh, the early episodes, the audio quality of which is very sketch, but we didn't know what we were doing. And I only gradually, slowly learned how to be better at it as we went. But um, I actually kind of burned out on doing that show 
uh, because I hated the editing process. Yeah, fair. Mm. I, I mean, sometimes when I would sit down and actually do it, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. But the the process of having to put in uh, background music and, and sound effects and cleaning up people's voices and doing those kind of selects and stuff um, was definitely necessary. Like <laughs> it would be, I think in some places we'd be un- unlistenable if we didn't do yep. that, or at least just really boring. Um, but having to go and do that after the fact i've already had all the fun running the game right and now the fun has stopped and now we need to do the boring part where we edit it all and put it out but other people are really into that kind of thing so i'm not going to yuck other people's yums but i found that really difficult fair um so when i moved into streaming um uh, i part of it i didn't go in with the intent of but realized relatively quickly that the work to make a good streamed actual play became front-loaded rather than Mm back-loaded. So I needed to make sure that I had all the visual assets and all the audio assets because I play with not maps, but visual cues and tokens Mm -hmm. a lot when I stream. And, you know, I need to know in advance where we might be going so I can make visual assets for those kind of things. And that can be a lot of work, but I find that work a little easier on me. When it's before... Mm, when it's the before because then it's building up to the exciting moment yeah. of running it you get to make the cool artwork and you're like oh man they're gonna flip when they see this <laughs> <laughs> i know exactly what you mean i know exactly mm. what you mean and then it's done and then you don't need to edit it at all at most you need to top and tail it and if you had like a comfort break in the middle which you should don't make your performers just perform for like three hours straight without a break that's a crime <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, imagine if you went to like the theater or there was like a theater troupe that yeah. performed a show like weekly mm-hmm. for like three, four hours and there was no intermission. Like, none. oh my God. <laughs> neither the audience nor the players would be happy oh. with the circumstances involved. Give As your someone with a break. very long legs in a country with famously tiny seats, mm-hmm. that would be hell on me. <laughs> Everybody needs to get up and stretch. The DM, the GM needs to get up and stretch. The actors yeah. need to get up and stretch. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, those are the only edits you need to do to take out the kind of like now loading and thanks for watching and the breaks in the middle and then you're done. Um, it does mean that you have to uh, learn how to keep the pace up. Mm. Um, I think being a pacey GM is a very much a learned skill uh, yes. when you're playing with no mics on. And you're just playing at the kitchen table at home and uh, nobody's listening to you, at least as far as you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you oh don't need God. to worry about how long it takes. That can be a six hour game if you want. Yeah. You can eat and drink as much as you want in the space and make horrendous mouth noises and nobody cares. <laughs> Uh, and but we do. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but when you're uh, playing for like other people um, and the holding their attention especially if you care about it being live holding their attention mm. for three hours becomes the game you need to think about what you're what you are doing um to be able to keep them interested and so me i like action movies uh, or to be accurate i like action anime i like action anime and like and like uh, jrpg video games right yes. I, I like short punchy bombastic and plot driven where we already know going into the episode, the session that we're doing, where we're going to be going. We already know we're going to be breaking into this building. We already know we're going to be solving this crime from jump. Mm-hmm. No wandering around the map, no sandboxness. We don't need people sitting around don't a table in both real life and in the game being like, I wonder how we're going to break in. And they just talk for like two hours, working out what they're going to do. No, no, no. Action is now. People are watching. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, that's a great philosophy of how to approach it. Honestly, mm. I think when I first started RPG with the first campaign we did, mm. I was so plot and pace focused. Mm. And it's mm. almost like I did it like we were going out live because I was like, we got to keep moving. We got to get to the end of the episode. We got to do it on time. And mm. and I think as I settled into the fact that, you know, there were some edits and we were going to be able to like pace it somewhat in post, I kind of mm. settled into it. But mm. at the beginning, I think I very much treated it. Yeah. Like you said, where it's like, you got to keep this shit moving, buddy. Like, I mean, 
Um, as somebody who's worked in TV, you've probably yeah. seen a live show happen, like behind the scenes on the live show. And you know that there's no time to faff. Uh, <laughs> no. You know? um, so when you when you have that born in mind, you're kind of like, OK, yeah, we're going to we're going to we're going to keep it brisk. That's not to say that you would necessarily be hurrying players along mm. necessarily, because sometimes, especially if you have um, a, a table who who like having intra-character relationships sometimes you just get the opportunity to lean back and let them do the storytelling and that's great yeah uh, because they're still they're still being on and they're still weaving a story in front of you i guess it's just knowing when uh being able to see the signs of your co-storytellers flagging and needing a cue to pick up where to go next or yep. just a subtle hint to say you don't need to dwell on this we can just move to the next scene and it's all gucci <laughs> that that's an interesting thing of like of say of of just being clear it's like no that there's nothing there mm. i know you've i know i've told you there's a dark galley down that way all i can tell you is there ain't nothing down there ain't nothing down there i um i run a lot of mystery work uh, now um i i had the, the so one of the one of my, my big streamed campaign because mm. i normally do one shots on air Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because there's a really large number of games that exist and it's nice to be able to demonstrate them all. I write my own games occasionally, so I want to be able to do a one-shot of my game. So if somebody wants to know how it's played, they can just go watch it. Um, but I did do one campaign uh, called Arcana Core, uh, really heavily inspired by like the Persona series of video games. You know what I said earlier about being a JRPG fan? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, run in both City of Mist and Void Heart Symphony, both urban fantasy games that use Powered by the Apocalypse, so they have the same mm-hmm. dice system, so I was able to just, like, make them kiss. <laughs> we were using uh, City of Mist for, like, the real world, yeah. and then whenever they were, like, diving into the subconscious to do explorations and do dungeons and fighting, we would move to the other game, so there was, like, a reason to move between the two systems. Yeah, um, that's really fun. I, I, I'm, I'm sure there are other system. I'm sure there are other actual play productions that do this kind of multi-system thing. But I thought I was being avant-garde. Um, well, I mean, from my perspective, you are. So you know, don't don't give yourself the credit you deserve. Thank you. It's really it's it's, it's a, a fun way to be able to kind of like you know, um, all tabletop RPGs usually ideally have something really unique about them. That's the experience mm. you want to draw out, and sometimes you want more of those more than what one game can provide so why yeah. not to anyway that's all to say that was a very mystery driven campaign um, yes. it was across three different like cases where they were going and investigating and all that um and one of the big things about mystery writing for tabletop rpgs is that you need to make it easy enough for the players to kind of solve by themselves but hard enough for them to kind of feel engaged and get stuck sometimes mm-hmm and also that is being very willing to go you might not have rolled very well but this is still the information that you get so we still Mm -hmm. keep the pace moving um i hear so many horror stories of people playing like tabletop rpgs that are not designed for investigations making like a perception role or a detection role or something not getting a number arbitrarily high enough and the GM is just like, well, I guess you just don't solve the mystery until the yeah. numbers are nice. Oh, that's so rough. Uh, and so yeah, it, it can be it can be really uh, pacing poison. So uh, you kind of learn to do these little upfrontness to kind of keep the <laughs> line moving. <laughs> I, it's funny you say about solving mysteries. I, I have a story kind of the other direction of that where like... Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They were the players were at this kind of crucial juncture or junction in the mystery where like they had enough pieces to like start making assumptions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or or putting pieces together and, and seeing where the gaps were. Mm. Then one of my players went and was like, I want to roll to see if I think this person looks like this person. Cause one of the things was a familiar relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Straight up rolled a nat 20. Mm. And it was like, yeah, yeah, you you could see the and 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 then it was like, you know, another thing of like, oh, can, and then can I do this? Nat twenty. Oh, and then can I do this? Nat twenty. Three in a row, and they just burst the case wide open with Amazing. three consecutive nat twenties. And I was just like, 
Oh no! <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, there's the joy in also being able to have that kind of like I've solved the case. Yeah, um, fully. <laughs> Thank God it was the detective character who actually got them. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. A, it would be a, a faintly embarrassing if the Watson kind of uh, character yeah. kind of was like, actually, I've solved it. You can. Actually, you all can go me. home. I've got it. I can take yeah. it from here. <laughs> As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about, uh, you mentioned uh, earlier uh, how mm-hmm. each game system ideally uh, should have uh, something very unique about it. And mm-hmm. you've played a lot of different game systems, which is a real trend uh, for the people that we have on this show. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I like talking to people who have a lot of different experiences with game systems because mm. I think a lot of the conversations online sometimes can get bogged down in very 5e, D&D-centric. Mm, mm-hmm. And really, I just want to hear your thoughts about playing other systems versus like getting stuck in this 5e... Mm. It has to be 5e, and why you think that might be happening in this space that we're in right now? Well, uh, I think there are multiple reasons why we're kind of in this particular space. Mm. Um, to talk about the, the the capitalism side of it first, because I think that's the <laughs> easiest one to explain. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, Dungeons & Dragons is owned by Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro, and Hasbro is one of the biggest toy manufacturers in the world. It's in their best interest. Uh, that whenever the idea of rolling dice comes up in any piece of pop culture or casually, that people know this brand before anything else. And they're good at it. They have a lot of money to give to performers to say, you will run our game and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Um, And being able to use money to get that level of mindshare for an art medium... Yeah. I don't think is particularly healthy for the larger part of the uh, of the medium because now everybody no. thinks about 
any other game in the context of the most famous one. And that's a shame, but it can't really be helped. We're not just going to be like, Hasbro, stop giving money. <laughs> Hasbro, stop it. <laughs> mm, mm, you know? And uh, they're also not going to hire people who are, who are uh, negative to that method of thinking. So they're yeah. not going to take me on to go and make games in other styles because I've already said that I don't like how they do their work. So they're never going to do that. And that's, that is what it is. I, I think also um, because it's so big mm-hmm. uh, and people want to tell lots of different stories and not just heroic high fantasy... Uh, one of the easiest ways of getting people to engage with your content if you're a tabletop content creator is to make it compatible with Dungeons and Dragons because then people who already play the most well-funded game on earth can then also play your content without having to try too hard. And this can sometimes mean forcing a square peg <laughs> into a round hole yeah. taking a belt sander to it so you can get through because there um there's been more than one like cyberpunk or like sci-fi uh fifth e compatible game mm-hmm. and invariably they have to handle guns and guns don't make sense in no. how dungeons and dragons is built mechanically so then no. they have to force that um Dungeons and Dragons historically was initially a miniatures war game, like a skirmish game, like yeah. Necromunder or Warhammer or something <laughs> like that. So combat is what it lives and breathes as its core assets. So then mm. trying to get it to do things that are not combat focused when half of your skills are around hitting things really hard becomes really, really difficult. And you have to do a lot of torsion to get that to happen. Yes. Um, at time of recording, Hasbro put out a tweet for their new Dungeons and Dragons expansion, which is in set in the Feywild. Um, oh yes, mm, which is neat. I will say that the Feywild is probably my most like fey interest. The setting I'm most interested in, I think, as far as I mean, Dungeons that tracks. Dragons is concerned. <laughs> Being a fairy in real life, <laughs> in as many senses of the word as you would like to put that. Um, <laughs> I, I feel a special certain like affinity with this kind of setting anyway um but the part of the promotional content they did for that was like a really sassy tweet being kind of like what if dungeons and dragons without combat encounters and i'm like i could tell you 10 games that already exist that yeah. are built to be that <laughs> <sighs> you know um and so so in in that kind of way it is what it is people know the biggest game and they will bend over backwards to try and make the biggest game work for them but mm. and i i like people hacking games to be what they want it to be because that is actually a way to becoming a game designer yes. is to think up new rules that work for you and the and your players and if you're doing actual play the story that you're telling mm. really important Um, But also, if you have to change lots of things, then maybe there is actually a system out there that will do your job better. Um, That's the thing. People homebrewed into oblivion to the point where it's like, well, you've just made a new game. New game. (laughs) Um, I will talk about it because it's a show that I genuinely really really like. So it's it's from a loving place and it's not me being mean. Um, (laughs) There is a a relatively recent actual play podcast called Planet Arcana, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like a science fantasy, uh, surrealist noir kind of deal. Really, really nice audio production. Um, The Arcana in the title isn't messing around. Taro influences it from the top to the bottom. Uh, The main cast is like a femme fatale and two quirky robots. And um, I was like listening to the opening episode of that and being like, this is so cool. This is amazing. (laughs) I love what it's doing with the setting. I love what's happening here. And then in the second episode, they fight something and they say roll initiative and then it becomes just Dungeons and dragons and not the cool setting that they were working before and i'm like yo there's so many really cool systems that would do what you want to do without you having to break anything and i'm like but you're like 10 episodes in and it would be genuinely rude of me to say hey i love what you're doing but could you do something else could you stop So no, it can it can keep rocking. It can keep it can keep rocking with it. But I will I won't lie. There was a moment I'm like, this is so good. I wish it was using a system that uh, lent into the uniqueness of what it wants to do narratively. But you know, yeah. that's the that's the, the the kind of vibe that they wanted to tell. Uh, mm. But yeah, I, I think as a general advice, if anybody was going to go and do an actual play, or even if they were recording off air, right? 
and among your party of people, you're all fans of a particular type of genre fiction, mm-hmm. uh, you could easily go to, uh, there's a couple of different resources of it. I think there's like a tabletop equivalent of Board Game Geek that mm-hmm. sorts RPGs by their kind of like thematic genre. So you could all be like, oh, we really love superhero pulp. And then yeah. you could go look and see the bunch of different superhero pulp systems that exist and find one that works for you. I need oh, this in my life. I'm I running a show where we're thrillers. rapidly eating through systems. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's really, it's, it was a, re- a really solid thing, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to, I have my tablet handy. We're going to do dead air for a second while I go Ooh. and find it, but it's fine. Ooh. You'll edit it out. No need to vamp. We can edit this out. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Okay. It's just called RPG Geek. Com. So oh, instead wow. of Board Game Geek, it's, RPG, it's RPGGeek.com. Um, well, there we go. RPGGeek.com. Check it genres out. Genres within genres within genres. Apparently the tab that I previously had open was animation slash comics, open brackets, anime slash manga. So it clearly gets that the, granular with the, with the genres. It's very it's consistent. Pulling. You're very consistent. <laughs> very consistent, apparently. I know what I like. But yes, you know, you can yeah. go and look and see what kind of games out there work for you. Uh, itch.io, um, the online yeah. repository for all sorts of indie productions. They do like video games and other like art pieces and art tools as well as tabletop games. Uh, but so many indie creators make stuff mm-hmm. there uh, for not very much money at all. Uh, buying uh, a 200 page hardback or like three 200 page hardbacks if you're playing D&D can be very expensive. Um, yeah. So here are some other games that don't cost that much. Yeah, uh, It's also nice. It's also nice. Uh, speaking of kind of systems that are maybe indie or, you know, really just not D&D, do you have any games that you've played recently or want to play that you uh, would like to recommend people or or mm. just want to talk about? Because I want to hear about them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since I talked about City of Mist, um, I will I will I will bring that back up again because it's genuinely one of my favorite games. So City of Mist was initially kind of billed as superhero noir and actually mechanically it's a little separate to that. The idea is, is that you as player characters are a gang of investigators who all um, balance their mundane real lives with supernatural abilities that have been gifted to them through some kind of archetypical entity within fiction. Nice. Uh, Within the book, it usually sticks within... Um, public domain fiction and mythology, mm-hmm. but as players, you can use any fictional person or object or location as your mythos, as it's called. Um, and so you could do uh, really interesting things like, oh, I am a surgeon uh, whose mythos is Snow White, and so that means that I can... Um, Uh, take fruit, particularly apples, and then give them unique medicinal properties if somebody bites into them. Uh, I might be able to summon a bunch of surgical aids on command and I can only summon seven, you know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And with that, I'm using these particular uh, skills to investigate my city and find the supernatural goings on and uh, work out who is behind them and what their mundane life is and what their uh, magical life is because a mob boss is scary a mob boss that has the power of Hephaestus and is like forging guns with yep. a magical hammer that they own is now ah. a big crime for me to unpack and you can tell really kind of like fantastical uh, uh, re- really kind of broad and quite gritty urban fantasy stories mm. with that um it is a game with no stat numbers in it Ooh. so instead Ooh. of having stat numbers uh, you have uh lists of tags that relate to you your yourself your profession your right. magical abilities and then you invoke those tags when you make roles and the more tags you invoke the more modifiers you can add to your role right um, that rem- i think uh, we've played a game on here before called Agon, which is similar to that. Mm, mm. I think it's by- also, if you've played any games that are powered by fate or the, mm-hmm. the fate system, that game also that fate also uses tags quite heavily as being able to inform one's abilities. It's a cool thing. Cause it means yeah. 
it's really it's what so much easier to think of your character in terms of short phrases of what they do and what they're good at rather than having to be like oh um i have a strength of eight what does that mean Mm. you know um and so it's easy to kind of think in how your character thinks because that information is in front of you those acting cues are in front of you um and character progression is growing into your mythos or pulling back from your mythos uh trying to maintain your mundane life or moving away from it and then as you do your tags also change mm-hmm. um there's a particular mechanic called stop holding back with like the periods in there and oh. basically it means you get to do something that goes beyond your current abilities and you will succeed it will absolutely happen you're actually rolling to see what it takes from you to exert yourself in such a manner and oh, that sounds so cool when players when storytellers realize that it is time for their character to stop holding back you already know that you're getting storytelling gold like you don't need to engineer that they already no. know when their story beat where it's time to go all out and that's great yeah. i love that <laughs> oh that's so good I'm, i've written that down i'm gonna check that out i would highly encourage the audience to do the same that mm-hmm. sounds excellent and uh, at time of recording, but it will be out by the time uh, this episode airs, um, Son of Oak, who designed City of Mist, are currently, again at time of recording, kickstarting their newest game, Queers, with a Z and an exclamation mark. Uh, based, funnily enough, on like a Super Sentai manga, like Power Rangers style vibes. But imagine if Power Rangers were also like a, a ballroom house where they all are LGBTQ plus performers who turn into superheroes to defeat the physical manifestation of ignorance in other people. (laughs) Oh my God. See, this is the thing is I don't think that they're, you just can't do something like that in any other system. Yeah. It's just super unique to what it is. That game uses the city of mist mechanics. Mm -hmm. So the kind of like, a division between your mundane life and your special life um, yeah. using uh, lists of terms to define your character and things like that, but specifically applying it through like a Power Rangers lens and a queer yeah. lens and informing those abilities. There's a lot more emphasis on community support and uh, that kind of like level of like a, a, a like queer positivity, I guess. Absolutely. Um, which is which is really nice because uh, because City of Mist is a noir and it's all about making really grim and difficult yeah. choices and this is much less that in terms of tone. So it's interesting that they were able to use those base ideas to tell two very different styles of story. Um, mm. Incredible, <laughs> yeah. And to Thank talk about you, I, one more, I guess just real briefly. Please go. On. Honestly, yeah. I don't don't let me hold you back. This is your time <laughs> uh, because it's in my same headspace. And to talk about a game that I've written. Um, uh, I, I recently, oh, not even recently, I released it near the end of last year, uh, a game called Heartbeats in Perfect Sync, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, it's inspired a little mechanically by City of Mist, which is, I guess, why I bring it up, where that's that division of mundane real life and kind of super-powered alternate life that you have to deal with, inspired by the likes of Kingdom Hearts and that, because I am of, of that type. Um, I, I basically watched a cutscene of some anime twink run up the side of a skyscraper dual wielding two swords to slap a dude in the face and I was like I want to make a game like that that sounds amazing <laughs> um, did you say some anime twink <laughs> I mean Sora but not everybody who's listening to this yeah, show no I know but that was just such a good description hmm <laughs> 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 Uh, it's, it's, I, I talk I talk about it like that but it is a game series very near and dear to my heart anyway um, all the players are mundane people who through their smartphone can summon a gigantic oversized ridiculous weapon that they use to fight the darkness in people's hearts called the pulse the unique aspect of the game is that everybody has a stat called their heart rate which ranges from 1 to 10 and that is also their dice pool so 
you start off the game with just five in your heart rate, so you're rolling 5d6 to do things. But as you succeed, or maybe as you fail, your heart rate will increase as you, you become, uh, your character becomes more hot-blooded, more energetic. Yeah. Or it might be lowering down as they're kind of retreating into themselves. Um, if your heart rate ever goes above 10 or below 1, you become heartbroken and immediately transform into a dark version of yourself with the transformation sequence that you get to elaborately describe now that you're in such a circumstance. Oh God, that's so specific and I love it. I mean, I mean, it is hyper-specific. You can tell one type of story with this game, but that's yeah. all that matters. <laughs> you know, um, I, 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 I enjoy that, that it exists to tell one very specific type of story, but uh, it's been really fun playtesting that. And watching oh, people vary quite heavily with their frame of reference for this particular genre, because it's pretty far reaching. If you talked mm. about pop culture where there were characters that had an emotional turn, went away for a while and then came back as a dark brooding version of themselves, I'm sure you could name five different pieces of media from five sure. different types of media, you know? Um, and people have ranged from doing like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of thing to the uh, original character I made when I was eight and they had a gigantic sword and could turn into a dragon and then, 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 you know, and it's been really heartwarming watching people uh, indulge in that kind of trash. Like, yeah, open heartedly. It just scratches that itch for like, it's beyond soap opera. It's just, mm. it's camp supreme. High camp is what I live for. <laughs> when it comes to storytelling, high camp is absolutely what I live for. <laughs> I do love a bit of that. Like, I play Blades in the Dark wrong. Ah, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, I play it very much as high camp. I mean, I mean, that's not necessarily wrong. Like, so <laughs> most of the roles in Blades of the Dark are designed where you succeed, but the world gets worse. Yeah. You know? And that lends itself really well to slapstick if you wanted to take that there, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, Skyjacks. Um, sure, yes. Because, I, I mean, I'm I will, I'm not overly familiar with Skyjacks, but I'm aware of James D'Amato mm -hmm. and of, you know, One Shot and that whole thing. And I'm really wondering, how did you get invited to, to be a part of Skyjacks. I mean, it was a very arduous uh, interview process. <laughs> Actually, it was really difficult. It was generally really hard. Um, so for context, because there's a little bit of background and the people who, who are listening might not necessarily be super familiar with James Tomato and his work. Um, mm. So he's part of the One Shot Network, which was initially uh, playing almost like what I kind of generally like doing with my stuff. One shots or three parters of indie games and playing a really wide variety of them. And from that expanded, turning into that into a podcast network. So there's lots of other podcasts that kind of come over the One Shot Network label. Um, mm -hmm. He then wanted to have like, you know, a full campaign in addition to the One Shots, which makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. And did uh, just called it campaign. And it was Star Wars themed because it was using uh, Fantasy Fight Games' Edge of the Empire system. Mm -hmm. Um, which uses uh, a unique set of dice uh, that are essentially storyteller dice-ish. Instead of having numbers on them, they have like successes and failures. And so you are rolling the dice to see whether you succeed or fail, uh, whether advantages or disadvantages come out of you out of the circumstances, whether you succeed or fail, because you might mm -hmm. fail with an advantage or succeed with a threat. So it's that kind of thing. Um, that system was really, really popular. So Fantasy Flight separately to whatever James D'Amato was doing, was like, mm -hmm. hey, we should release this as a generic system that you can apply yeah. to any setting. Uh, think like GURPS or Fate yep. or games that are a system and not a setting. And yep. they call that the Genesis with a Y, G-E-N-S-Y-S. -S. Or G-E-N-E-S-Y-S, -S. there we go. It's, it's spelled oddly. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's designed to be like the Edge of the Empire system, but generic so after the star wars campaign finished uh james moved into S campaign skyjacks which was using genesis inspired by the music of the decemberists and is about sky mm -hmm. pirates and uh the general premise of it so the episode one of that starts by the main characters 
um, realizing who are who are on a ship, the Uhuru, who have realized that their captain has died, Captain Oromar Vale, and Captain Oromar Vale is a very important pirate, and him dying is actually a huge problem. So they have to weekend at Bernie's him around, oh, no. <laughs> so they can keep up the lie that Captain Oromar Vale is alive. Great. Over time, that kind of like plot thread becomes more elaborate. They use necromancy to pilot him around and so on and so forth. So there's like a subcurrent of maybe he will get his own agency back as his soul finds his way back to his body. Um, He's also a black man and there's a lot to be discussed around the control and ownership of black bodies. And uh, Skyjacks is inherently, as as a thesis statement, an anti-colonialist show. Um, The villains are colonialism enablers and fascists so they were like oh it would be really good to have somebody be Captain Oromar uh, they want a black person to voice Captain Oromar because that would be awful optics if it wasn't yeah that would be bad <laughs> you know and somebody who could do uh, pacey storytelling and be able to be themselves anti-fascist in the stories that they're weaving and so on and so forth. So they did a they did a, a general casting. I admit that I wasn't a, a direct listener to the show when the initial casting was on, but mm-hmm. I had been listening and was a fan of uh, James Smart's work previously. Mm-hmm. Um, I met him at a convention in 2019. Uh, he went to Thought Bubble, um, which is a uh, comics and publishing indie comics and publishing convention I was publishing his new tabletop rpg book i gave him a zine that i had made being like i made this it has dice rolling in it. i thought you might like it uh, <laughs> and then later that weekend he came back to me and he's like i have a job for you do you want to write an rpg for me and i was like yes um, <laughs> so i now have a, a game in the book called the ultimate micro rpg book which has like 40 or so different I micro one-page rpgs written by different people uh, so i have a game in there called on all frequencies yada 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 um but so we'd already known each other and i was kind of like hey i've worked with him before he knows who i am i'll apply to this and it was quite involved i had to do uh i had to talk about in writing all my previous kind of actual play and broadcasting accomplishments then i had to send in a voice reel like it was applying for an audio drama uh, then I had a one-on-one interview with James where I kind of answered some questions about how I would perceive the character or what I might do with the character. And then I had a demo session with the other players to see if I was a humor and tonal fit. Yeah. And all of that makes sense for like general, maybe TV production casting. I yep. think he hired a, a, a casting expert to be part of the process but because i'm so used to indie level casting yeah (laughs) where i like look to see if you have a twitch or a youtube and whether your mic or camera are any good and whether you've done any kind of storytelling before and if you're like yeah you seem cool (laughs) (laughs) let's do a one shot together um that's that's my life (laughs) you know uh but because this was a thing that you know he it's because it's uh, funded via Patreon. He can actually pay uh, all the participants for their time. And as a result, there is a contract and he really wants to expand it into, um, you know, an established franchise and IP. Mm-hmm. So there's lots, of, there were lots of steps, I think, involved yeah. in. And it was interesting. I'd seen those sort of steps from the other side. I work in broadcasting as my regular day job. So I'd seen some of those processes of casting and commissioning before, but not been through that kind of detail on my side. Um, and because there were, as far as I understand, some big names who also applied for this role, there are not that many black men in actual play as it happens, or at least not like known, right? Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it was, it was, it was really interesting kind of stepping up to the plate with some people that I generally really respect as performers. Oh, and so I, I feel that it is, um, I feel a lucky that I was given the opportunity to do this anyway, but also it was kind of affirming that the amount of kind of like, uh, adventures that I have been on to learn and grow as a performer has been able to get me that position. For sure. 
it was it was wild and now that i'm on it it's great i really i really love uh the the they're all they're all comedians or have backgrounds in comedy and i'm like i'm i have no background in comedy am i even funny i don't i don't actually know (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i am uh but it's been working really well so far and everybody has been so nice (laughs) well good you know it's, it's a show that has a fandom, right? They've been fans yeah. of Captain Oromar Vale for years. And then this rowdy, like, <laughs> gender void upstart kicked down the door and says, I'm a zombie pirate captain now and put on a tricorn hat and started twerking. And now everybody's just kind of like, what do we do with them? Uh, <laughs> but they seem to be into the twerking. So I guess I'm going to continue. <laughs> I love that. Just kicks down a door, puts on a hat, starts twerking. It's very evocative imagery, that. <laughs> now I've said that. When I do a Skyjacks live show, I'm going to have to do that you now. You have to do that <laughs> the now. The fans will expect it of me. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Like, <laughs> In fact, you won't, because it'll have happened by the time this comes out. Because mm-hmm. it'll come out so much later. Um, oh, my God. That's incredible. What, what an incredible process that is. That must have been so frightening to like. Yeah, a little go bit. Go through and get up to that final stage because when it's like the final three right you're like I'm just glad that I got this far yeah (laughs) you know when somebody goes in like top five on drag race it's like I'm just glad that I got to show RuPaul who I really am (laughs) they get they get a world tour and a book deal out of it they don't need to worry too bad yeah (laughs) the number of times that I've been in the top three I've been like yeah it's just great to it's just great to be here but in the back of your mind, you're like, if I don't fucking get this, I'm going to be so goddamn mad. <laughs> mm, mm, for real. For real. <laughs> uh, Which just says more about me, really. Oh, no. I'm sure I'm sure that's everybody. I'm sure that's everybody. Uh, even, the, even the other people who, who might not have gotten the position. I assume I've not met them. Uh, I'd like to meet them one day because I'd like to meet other black people in actual play. Just in general. Especially other other Brits. For sure. That seems to be the other kind of, I guess, tangent. Um, you might have noticed that uh, tabletop actual play is very American. Yeah, it is. In the same way that with voice acting and they're like, can you move to LA? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I, can, I can just about afford my Manchester apartment. I don't think I can afford an LA one. <laughs> um... Uh, but also uh, having to do stuff at, on American time because, mm. you know, I, I, I got very used to uh, doing shows that start at 11 and end at 2. Um, AM? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I've done a couple of different productions uh, where where that's the, the time that's available and I'm like, cool. Uh, and then eventually I moved to a job that is actually really demanding and I can't be a zombie the next day. And I'm like, well, yeah. I, am, I have to do I have to do the job that pays me. Unfortunately, I can't. <sighs> but yeah, you, you get used to you get used to kind of sometimes navigating those. For the most part, it is, you know, m- what my my 6 p.m. there, 1 p.m. on Saturdays is usually how we vibe these days. And that works. Yeah, that's OK. <laughs> I'm aware of those. <laughs> sure aware of those uh right i'm gonna start wrapping things up in a minute but one last thing i absolutely have to talk about which you brush on briefly is your ttrpg writing yeah you've done some incredible stuff and you've worked with the 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 patron saint of one page rpgs (laughs) fucking grant howitt uh Mm. Go, tell me. I want to know. Tell me your secrets. Okay, similarly, similarly, actually, at the exact same goddamn con that I met James D'Amato, I gave Grant Howitt a copy of the same zine, and he was like, yeah, we've got a thing for you. Uh, (laughs) uh, That was actually to write... um, So his uh, mainline non-one-page RPGs, like Spire and Heart... um, Yes, which are both real cool settings. Uh, they they manage to straddle the line between high fantasy and urban fantasy and what they do, really interesting. Uh, but there was like a mission supplement book for Spire uh, that he was getting guest writers for. So he kind of approached me to do that. Um, I'd seen him a handful of times at like UK Games Expo in previous years. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, because I played his game Hack the Planet, 
I'd yeah. never played Love Hunt that Heist, game. But I like Hack the Planet um, because cyberpunk nerd. I love the elegance of cyberspace and meat space as your two stats. Oh, I love it. I've played that game before. It's a, a wonderful game. So cool. And so yeah. eventually I wrote my first tabletop rpg inspired by interviewing somebody like i i I interviewed another tabletop like streamer um and at the end of the show we had a segment where i was like hey if you had infinite time infinite money and nobody to tell you no what kind of thing would you make and he was like i would make a really elaborate like rpg where you are a sexy spy and you have to flirt to get what you want but also you have a really elaborate outfit and your elaborate outfit defines your stats and it's like a so it's like a spy dating sim fashion simulator crossover (laughs) thing i'm like that's That's sick and also you're a tabletop person hey would it be i if i wrote like a one-page rpg that was inspired Inspired by this conversation. So I wrote Agents of Hugh, Hugh standing for Hunky Undercover Elites, <laughs> where you have two stats, Fierce and Fabulous. Uh, and uh, teamwork, you have to describe how you use your secret spy gadgets or your personal physical or personality pride with sizzling tension to do your teamwork. Um, and so I wrote that. Uh, I printed it and gave it to Grant at UK Games Expo. And I was like, I was in the same voice that I uh, talked to, to, to yeah, yeah. James D'Amato earlier in this episode. Yeah, I, yeah. I really like Hurt the Planet, so I wrote this thing for you. I hope you like it. Yeah. Uh, basically, like handing him a Valentine's card in like elementary yeah. school. Do you like me? Circle, yes, no. Yes or no. <laughs> Uh, uh, and so we became kind of like internet friends and have been in regular contact more or less since then Uh, but Grant has this year decided that he wants to do a year of one he does one page RPGs monthly anyway but has been doing uh, this year with collaborations with different designers uh, and he was like, oh, I absolutely want to do a thing with you, Nathan. Uh, when we were talking, we had both recently played Paradise Killer, which is like a sci-fi surrealist murder mystery game that you can get on PC. It's very good. It's very, very good. Um, um, but it's kind of like the, the all the characters are essentially extra dimensional gods who have nothing better to do with their time but dress fashionable and be bitchy to each other. What else would they do? You know, when you're infinite and you want for nothing, like objects, scarcity no longer exists. Have so you what you do is start relationship housewives? dramas and drink. We've seen what happens when you have so much time on your hands and um, enough money for whatever you want. You know, you know, and they're all awful people and so on. Um, so we're like, we're both really inspired by that. And we're like, okay, so we want to do the sexiest motherfuckers on the edge of the universe was the working title for the game. And we went away for a while and Grant was kind of talking about, oh, maybe this is, I I wanted a game where you swapped physical parts of yourself with other people to gain new abilities because you're an infinite being. You probably change your identity and your gender whenever you want. So why not change parts of your body as part of your regular day to day? And so that then spiraled into what if you changed your name? What is the idea of truly having a name and having it identified by other people? And it became quite like deep. And then I was like, hey, hold on. Uh, My reputation for game design is loud gay trash. We should probably just make some loud gay trash. Uh, (laughs) And Grant was like, yes. Good. Uh, and so we made Big Bang Superstars, which is what if the cast of Paradise Killer went on America's Next Top Model and Tyra Banks was 40 foot tall and could not be stopped. <laughs> you really did stick to your brand. I mean, you know, at this point, as I'm slowly becoming known as like a tabletop personality, people want consistency from you. <laughs> like, you know, they're following me, they're following me on stream because they want a specific thing from me, yeah? So I'm gonna give sure. them the thing that they want. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, oh. And uh, yeah, it was, um, it was so much fun to write. We wrote it specifically with the intent of it being actual play, like mechanics that are beneficial to the fact that these are actors trying to tell a story together in a really rapid fashion. Nice. And it was really nice building that from the ground up into the game design really intentionally. I think the games that I've made before, because most of my tabletop experience is actual play, 
think about actual play when I write them, but this was one where I was like in the checklist of things that I want the game to be. That was an actual like check mark in there. Um, I think in the grand scheme of the games that have been released by co-authors so far, this has maybe been one of the least popular, but that's okay. Oh, <laughs> ah, I mean, it's um, it, it, it's 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 not Grant's usual brand um, of of game style, and that's the point because that's what these crossovers are is kind of like yeah. fresh fresh brands in between. Um, Grant, although he is part of the queer umbrella um, and, and his self-professed to not necessarily like physically embodying that as a person or necessarily in his work directly. So yeah. I think the fact that this game was incredibly queer caught people by surprise. <laughs> just a hair. I mean, fair, but also, like, haven't we just had, like, the himbo heist game? Is that what it is? The yes. You know? Sasha Sienna's game? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you have to solve the mystery <laughs> uh, before the end of the day, but you're a himbo and can't think very hard. But gosh dang, you're trying. That game's really cute. The reverse Cluedo one, I think, is my favourite of the ones that have been oh, released Cluedo so far. Don't, wasn't yes. it? Well, you have I need to... to. I haven't looked too much into that, but I want to. Oh, well, you, you use the actual pieces of Cluedo to play the game, which I is amazing. I have a Cluedo set! <laughs> the actual game of Cluedo is not very good. I love Cluedo as a board game for the aesthetics of it, but mm, I will, f <laughs> I, I'm, this is not a, this is not a board game conversation. So I will hold this mostly. Cluedo is the best board game. Cluedo is like the most aesthetic board game and is one of the most conducive to you dressing up. And somebody gets to be the distressingly sexy Professor Plum, and it's going to be me. I'll fight you. But <laughs> as like a mechanical entity, it's not super involved. Um, no. And you know, uh, you, you you it's it's largely Baby's first deduction game as an actual mecha game. Mechanic. Sure, but yeah. That's a, and that's okay. But it could be spicier. <laughs> you could okay. be trying to be the murderer. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, I I I think I'm now in the in the market for just general Cluedo hacks. Give me additional <laughs> rules to make Cluedo more complicated as a game, and I'm there. <laughs> oh well, that's amazing. I'm 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 just so excited uh, to have had you on the show, and thank you for for talking to us about all this amazing stuff. Uh, I'm going to wrap up again in a moment, but please do tell people where can they find you, support you, where is the best way to get more content from you. More content for yes. the algorithm. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I have once again been your androgynous Android game show host from the future, Nathan Blades. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Phantom Arts Ent, Phantom Arts E-N-T, uh, where I generally post all my creative endeavors there. So if you're following that, you will know about about everything that I do. Um, my games can be found at sixofspades.itch.io uh, because I made that before I started to have consistent branding. Ha 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 ha. It's too Classic. late to change it now. Um, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash the neon caster where I stream as a human uh, lots of tabletop RPGs. Uh, critical discussions of video game in terms of the arts and themes and ideas. Uh, but then I also stream as a VTuber uh, video games that uh, use tabletop in their mechanics in different ways. So I've been playing stuff like Slay the Spire and Dicey Dungeons and Library of Ruiner. Um, uh, I also do monthly quizzes as caster my vtuber uh, because he's a game show host like i say in the title it's not a lie anymore I actually run quizzes um <laughs> we recently did prizes for the people that won last time so oh, you know wow. yeah 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 giving away giving away copies of uh, rpg like keys to download off it for the people who win the quizzes nice uh, so yeah you too listening might win if you tune in and go and join one of the quizzes but that's me thank you so much for having me on the show this has been rad thank you i'm gonna do my social media speech so uh, you guys, of course, can uh, go support Realms of Peril and Glory uh, on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash light and tragic. If you want to follow us on social on social media, if you want to follow us on social media, you can head over to uh, Realms Pod uh, on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can find myself personally at Zach FG. That's Z-A-C-K-F-G on Facebook. Twitter, uh, also Instagram, but I don't do anything on it. So <laughs> what's the point? Um, and merch, 
Merch is another thing we have, and it's actually not bad. It's quite good. Uh, you can go to the link in the podcast description for our merch store. Um, and I think that's probably it. Uh, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, that was smooth. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.